Good morning. Welcome, welcome to Lifestone Church. I'm Pastor Ben. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Um, I want to start out by saying thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I, I didn't say this last, uh, uh, last service that we had. Uh, it, it takes a lot of incredible people to really sacrifice um, to uh, add another service and to have uh, lots more people come in. And at Easter, we had uh, 455 people come. And, and yeah, we're really excited about that. <clears throat> if you've been with us, actually... We've had bigger numbers in the past. What we really want to focus on this year is not just uh, seeing people come once a year, but we're trying to put more of our focus on connecting them more long-term and, and having them be a part of our family. And so, um, so we're excited about that. And uh, just thank you for all you guys who volunteer. And if you guys get a chance, you know, when you go pick up your kids or whatever, just thank those volunteers in there. I mean, they're just, they don't get paid or anything. They're just there to love your kids and share Jesus with them. And so uh, thank you guys for doing all those kind of things. Can't do it without you. Well, uh, we're uh, going to continue in Romans. Um, we uh, took a little break last week looking at Easter. And uh, this week we'll, we'll look at the last half of chapter 6 in Romans. And, and uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about who the guy is that wrote the book. He gets a lot of attention because he wrote so many books in the New Testament. So his name comes up a lot. He's a guy named Paul. Um, I, I found something new <laughs> about him uh, in our contemporary world, Time Magazine named him the second most influential man in history. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, this guy, uh, incredibly influential because he wrote so much of the New Testament. And um, his book that has the most influence among all those 13 books that he wrote is the book of Romans. And so it kind of sells itself in paying attention to what God gives us in this book and, and how it's written. And the story of Paul is amazing. A guy who set out to murder and kill and destroy the movement of Jesus becomes the greatest champion of, of the church in, in his day. And God uses him in such a powerful way to remind you and me, every person in this room and who knows that story, that God, there's nobody who's too far from God's grace or too removed or, or has disqualified themselves to be used by God. And so um, great reminder of who Paul is and, and, and we see how he thinks, how he processes, real detail-oriented guy, real analytical guy, brilliant guy, uh, very, very educated guy. Um, and he hammers home this message, but then he knows some of the follow-up questions that are coming and he answers them for us. In Romans 3.28, great, great verse to memorize, to share with other people. Here's what he hammers him. Home. Hello. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. This radical departure from every other system that tries to approach God and be right with God. Every other religion that says, here's our rituals, here's our rituals, here's our, our uh, did I say that twice? Here's our list of rules that you have to obey to be right with God. And you never kind of know exactly how you're doing. And you wind up just kind of comparing yourself with other people and thinking, well, I, 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 must, I must make it in because I'm doing better than other people. That whole religious system, Paul says, no, that's not how God is dealing with us. Jesus came to fulfill that completely, that, that we are saved by works. Do you guys know that? 
We're saved completely by works. It's just the work of Jesus. It's all his works and none of our works. And so Paul hammers this truth home and then he knows the religious group that, he, that, that he's addressing. Uh, we, we have this book addressed and given, sent to the church in Rome. And it's a mixture of, of Jewish people with a Jewish background and Gentiles. And so um, he's hammering this home and he knows, okay, I know your background. I know my Jewish uh, brothers and sisters, kind of the questions they'll ask and, and others. And so in Romans 6, 1, two weeks ago, he said, well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he assumes like, okay, so here's what some of you guys are going to do with this is you're going to think, well, Jesus makes me right with God. He does it all. I just receive as, as a free gift as I call upon his name. Party time, license to sin time. This is great. This is the greatest scam in the history of religion. No wonder this is like spreading around and people are accepting this. And, uh, but the problem is, you know who hates that? And he hates this message more often than, than others? Religious people. Religious people are so frustrated because they're like, I've worked so hard to be right with God. And you're telling me Romans 3.28? Uh, but, but I'm good. I'm better than other people. When other people want to use the S word, I say crap instead. I'm so good. I'm at church the Sunday after Easter. Come on. Like, wow. I, I'm in God's, you know, A club. I, I got smiley stickers on top of smiley stickers from God. And it really frustrates those people who think who boast in their own righteousness, who boast in their own ability to be right with God. And it destroys that and it frustrates um, that concept and that idea. Um, so they get frustrated, but then there's this other group who's like looking for opportunity. Like I can just go on living how I've always wanted to live. Just whatever my appetite in any area of my life, whatever it leads me to, whatever I'm tempted to do, hey, I don't have to worry. And, and some people went as far to say, okay, if this is true, you know what? I'm actually helping God out. If I sin more, then grace abounds more, as scripture says. And so more sin on my part, I make God look really good. Because, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm deep in sin. And so his grace is like incredible to bail me out. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You, you, you have the wrong idea about sin. You're being deceived by what sin is. You're missing out on the life that God wants you to live. That does not lead to. And this system of knowing this and knowing that God makes you right, Ultimately, he puts a spirit in you that guides you and leads you. It doesn't lead, if you're following God and what he wants in this whole thing, it doesn't lead you to this conclusion. So he says, absolutely not. And then we jump to where we'll focus on this morning, the, the last half of chapter six, where he asks what may sound like the same question, but it's a little different. Let me give a little context in 14. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 14. If you guys don't have a Bible, we give away free Bibles. This Bible. Well, actually, don't take my Bible. But <laughs> Bibles just like this one. 
are out in the, on, on the table there. We love to get God's word in people's hands. But in chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And what Paul will, will continue to try to line out is the freedom that God offers in being in slavery under him. That sounds weird. Versus being in slavery under sin. One brings life and one brings death. And we don't have any kind of other choice. <laughs> he gives us these two choices. You can either live in sin or you can live in righteousness for God. One brings life, one brings death. Um, so Romans 6.15, this is where it sounds so familiar and so similar, I guess, to verse 1. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? And he immediately answers, of course not. So you see how that's a little bit different. Okay, hey, what if I just sin more and I feel really good about that because then God looks better because his grace is increased. No, that's not a good justification. Well, well, here's the deal. We're just not under the law anymore, right? So then I can just sin however I want. And Paul's like, of course not. Because you have a misunderstanding. You're giving into the lie of what you think sin is and what you're missing out on. So um, <clears throat> before Jesus, the law is given. As he talks about us not being under the law, what is this law? The Bible says that Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. The law in and of itself is not evil, and I think sometimes we look at the law or the, the guidelines, the requirements, the standard of holiness and righteousness that God gives us in the Old Testament that we are to match to be right with him. And what it does is show everyone that we can't meet it, we can't match it, that we need grace from God. We need God to step in and, and, and do it on our behalf. That's what Jesus does. But the law in itself, think about it. It's the system in which Jesus comes in and fulfills to pay our debt, to make us right with God. So in, in many different levels, we're thankful for the law. We're thankful for what God has accomplished and what he can do through the law. Uh, but that was the right way to be right with God. And now that Jesus has fulfilled that completely, it is Jesus that is the one who can make us completely worthy, completely righteous and holy. That we get the righteousness, when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we get his righteousness, his holiness, his worthiness credited to us as a free gift by receiving that simply, is what scripture says. And, and now we're not under the law of trying to follow these rituals and these rules to try to be right with God. And if we try to mix those two together, it's like oil and water. And Paul, especially in some of his other books, goes to great lengths to be very forceful in saying it's nullified. If, if you want to put some trust in your own effort and you fulfilling the law and think that Jesus kind of makes up the rest or gives you a boost and then, and then it's on your own, that is a disgrace, and that is not putting your trust and confidence in what Jesus did. And so it's just, you're, you're back under the law completely, and you won't match up under the law. So you can't mix the two, and Jesus didn't help just come to give us a little, a little boost to help us. He, com he does it completely. He's perfect. We're tainted by our sin. We can't accomplish that. So um, 
So, so that's the argument. He feels like some people are going to try to justify continuing to sin in that. And in then verse 16, he says, don't you realize that you become the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? And what he's doing is saying, look, sin is deceiving and, de- and it's all full of lies. And let me reveal and, and, and take away the power of the deception of sin because you're a slave to whatever you choose, you choose. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Now, we've got to talk about this slavery term. Paul uses it, and he actually apologizes in a couple verses and says it's not an adequate illustration, but at a human level, like, this is what I got. But slavery, when, when we think of it, I think, and I say we, if you've grown up in the States and, and have a context of our history, it is such a deplorable, horrible thing. Our immediate first reaction to slavery, I think, when we think of the context of, of American history is one of the worst things that we've seen happen in history. And when, when slave is, slavery is used here, they would have a different approach to it. Not that it'd be necessarily real positive, but the slavery in our history had to do with just incredibly cruel acts of dehumanizing people based on simply their ethnicity, their skin color. Well, in, in uh, Paul's audience, about a third of them would actually be under this slavery that they would identify with. And um, it wasn't necessarily based on your skin color. It wasn't necessarily based on your ethnicity. It was based on debt that you might owe or just the position that you found. Some people even chose to be in slavery or in servitude towards someone else because they needed to find somebody who could provide for them or maybe also their family. And they would make an agreement. Hey, I will be under servitude for you if you in exchange, you know, take care of my needs and a good master would do that, um, would take care of and be loving and kind towards uh, the people who, who, they, who were serving them. And so they wouldn't have as negative a view of it, but it does fall short as Paul talks about. It. I mean, we might go as far in some circumstances of their identifi- identification of slavery, we, we might call employment, <laughs> And so it, it is kind of a little, uh, a different uh, perspective. Um, so with that, we're presented with this idea that you can choose to live for sin or live for God, like I said, and there's no in-between choice. And, and sin is tempting. Here's, here's what wraps up all of sin. Possessions, we want possessions, we want power, or we, we want pleasure. Um, basically, the Bible identifies it and gives some certain lust or certain lust, yeah, lists that are these lusts of sin, and and that's basically what it comes down to. We want possessions, we want stuff, we want power or control, and, or, or we want pleasure, and and uh, that's the temptation of sin and us giving into desiring those things, um, and so. Uh, what Jesus, in contrast, says, uh, first, you receive eternal life through trusting in what he has done on our behalf. And in that, in this relationship that's now restored because he created us to have that, we'll discover abundant life that we were created to have in this beautiful relationship 
with God who is our master. And, and here's the radical different thing. Because I mean, I, I so my, you might be like, my two choices are to be in slavery or to be in slavery. <sighs> well, that's an encouraging message. But, but here's what should be encouraging. Is God as our master loves you more than you love you. That's incredible. God cares for your well-being and, and, and has more compassion towards you than you do you <laughs> or than you do towards your family or others or other loved ones that you have. That's a master you want to serve. That's a master you want to be under. That's a master you want to have care for you. And that's the position. And we aren't in a position. If we just say, well, how about the third choice of me being my own master? Well, that's just called idolatry, making yourself God, coming to some weird de- delusional conclusion that, that you have your origin found in you, that, that you weren't created, that somehow you are the center of your own universe. The fact is, the reality is, we are all created by God. He gets to make these rules. But, but thankfully, he's loving and he's good, and he, he's kind, and he wants the best for us. And so we joyfully want to serve him and allow him, someone who loves us more than we love ourselves, and, 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 and you know, wants the best for us. That, that's a little easier to step into, right, than just having that title of slavery. But here's what also needs to be broken down. We need to destroy the power of sin. Anybody here have the privilege of having my son show you a magic trick? All right, we got a few out there. Um, magic tricks, you know, uh, are interesting when you don't have them figured out. And that's when they're really powerful, right? There's a whole TV show on it, right? Penn and Teller trying to, people will say, well, look, this magic tra- trick is so impressive that you can't figure out how it works. Because someone does something, you know, makes a card disappear out of your hand, and you feel like you've got all the angles and a good view and everything, and you're like, wow. How did that happen? That was amazing. And that's the power of the magic trick. But once you find out how it works, you're like, oh, I know how that one works. Right? I mean, as simple. Here's where my magic. You guys want to see something cool? Okay. I'm going to take my thumb off. All right. We've all seen that, right? My... uh, uh, my uh, father-in-law used to do that. That was like his, like every day he gave me and my kids and they'd be amazed, you know. And then they got a little older and they're like, oh, wait a minute. I see, oh, okay. And then we'd teach him how to do it. And it lost its luster. It lost its effect. God wants us to know the truth about sin so it loses its effect and appeal because sin is alluring. It is enticing. That's the very nature of it. Uh, Where we get the the temptation of sin comes from Satan. And Satan would love nothing more than us to continue to view him as a silly little guy in a red jumpsuit with a little pitchfork tail kind of poking us once in a while. And us go, oh, he's a silly little guy. Because that is not Satan at all. Satan, try to wrap your brain around this, is perhaps the worship leader of heaven. And there was some point, we don't get a lot of detail in scripture about this, but angels are created beings created to serve God. We aren't angels. We won't become angels. The Bible 
doesn't teach anything like that. But even before God created creation, there was angels that he created that serve him and worship him. And we see moments where they're used and, and all sorts of things and lots of questions surrounding that. But, but, but uh, um, Satan was basically the worship leader of heaven and he desired the glory that God was receiving, that he is due him, that is proper that he receives. And, and he was so cunning and so deceptive in the presence of God in heaven, he was able to deceive a third of the angels to follow him. This dude has some skill. This guy can lie like no other. This guy, that's why he's called the deceiver. And something that's deceiving isn't simple and easy to see how it's trying to trick us. And Satan is incredibly good at that. And so when we talk about this desire, even the roots of going, hey, I want to sin more. I want to keep sinning. We're giving into the lie thinking that that's ultimately something we're missing out on. And in our culture, we think, I mean, it's like, yeah, sin is, wow, man, that's like, that's what you do on vacation. That's what you do to go, you know, really have fun. You go to, hey, let's, you know, even a city that has a title that's named that. Like, that's what you, like, that's good stuff. And if we know truth, we know that sin kills, steals, and destroys. And that's what it ultimately leads to. Part of its enticement is that it, there is some, some fun surrounded by it. There's some, there's some um, as the Bible says, sin is fun for a season, or else it wouldn't be very tempting, right? But there is some things that, that, that we're tempted to get out of it. But if we see it for what it is, and that's what Paul wants us to do, that's what scripture wants us to do, that's what God wants us to do, to see sin for what it is, it kills relationships. It destroys our, our self and our body and other relationships. It brings death, and, and that's ultimately. And, and then even one step farther, it is what put Jesus on the cross. It is what he went through humiliation and pain and suffering and sacrifice for, to pay for sin that does these horrible things. So don't think, well, God's just this ultimate joy kill. And for whatever reason, he's got this nerdy, narrow, straightened path thing that I need to follow or, or else. And so I just don't sin because I'm afraid of the or else. You know what scripture says? It says everything's permissible for people who are in Christ. Jesus paid it all. If you want to get technical, like God won't divorce you if his Holy Spirit lives in you. He will not abandon you. You can go jump into sin, but why would you? Of course you wouldn't want to do that, as Paul would put it. Of course not. Why would you want to cause pain and heartache and, and, and relationship destroying things in your life. And so that's what he says about number one, deception, that it is, sin is deceiving, know that. Number two, it entangles us. That's part of the deception of it. And Hebrews 12 points that out. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up, or many translations says entangles us. And let us run the endurance with endurance, the race God has set before us. We do this keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Um, 
One thing I want to do is, is finish also the end of uh, chapter six, which I think I skipped. And I, you guys with me? You're like, I don't know. I'm not paying attention. You're yelling at me about sin. All right. I think if we can go back a little bit, there we go. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you're wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. So that's how we view it. It is slavery in a very negative way. Uh, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which let, led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness living righteous living so that you will become holy. And wrapping up this chapter, it says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligations to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that ended in eternal, end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do the, those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. This sounds very familiar to many of us. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But it gives some wonderful context there. And so jumping back into your notes here, it's deception, it's entanglement. Number three, it's slavery in a very negative sense that leads to death. Um, and number four, it causes shame. So here's what Satan ultimately does. You're missing out. Sin is fun. Sin is great. You're missing out on the greatest experiences of life. And here's the temptations that, that will give you fulfillment. So jump into sin. It's great. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Come on, come on, come on. And then you get entangled in it in a slow way, usually. Usually you don't just make a giant leap and bound being completely entangled in it. It's usually like a thousand paper cuts that kill you. It's usually, you know, a hundred small steps of like, well, you know, I guess this is okay. Just doing it. And we justify this small little step towards getting completely entangled and consumed to the point that it even identifies, we're identified by our sin. Um, and that leads to, to ultimate slavery controlling us. And then when Satan's going, do you know, jump into it. It's awesome. You're missing out. And then he turns around and he, he shames you and he condemns you. And he's called the accuser. He accuses you. What do you think you're doing in church on Sunday? Sunday after Easter. You shouldn't be here. <laughs> Look at what you jumped into. Look at what your life is full of. Look at what the things you've done. And he heaps tons of condemnation and shame onto you. And, and there's a way to get out of this that God prescribes. First of all, we need to know if we have received grace, we have received the Holy Spirit, God will not divorce you. That is something, that is a peace that passes understanding. That is an assurance of your salvation. That is something that, that you can rest in. And if the Holy Spirit really resides in you, now you can still get trapped into sin. And what does it do? It, it hurts your relationship. If you're unfaithful in a relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship ends, but you're probably not on great terms. And God gives us a way to make sure that we continue, we can come back and confess our sins. And he, and he gives us instructions to do it to one another, to confess our sins to one another, to repent of our sins and to 
restore this relationship. And, and he does it in these three ways. I think of God being described in the, in the Old Testament as holy, holy, holy. And, he, and, and it just reminds me of what we need to do when we get trapped in, into sin and, and, and we're, our relationships with other people and God are, are hurting because of that. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us, that he does. We may be suppressing him and, and, and ignoring him and not allowing him to lead our lives at that point. But we need to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit does dwell inside of us and that we have God's holy word. And this is one of the things that says, remind, gives us the truth of what sin really is. Instead of continuing to justify it or continuing to try to, you know, uh, just ignore it or whatever or think that we're missing out, know that, man, we're just, it's all about being lied to. We're just absolutely being lied to. And that's what Satan does. That's his strategy. Don't give into it. And then holy people that God wants us to connect. I mentioned confessing to one another. Here at Lifestone Church, we would rather put you in circles than in rows. And how do we do that? You're in rows on a Sunday morning and you got to hear this guy talk about the Bible. But we would rather you also, we don't want you to just not come on Sundays, but um, we get really excited when we can get you into circles where you are actually talking to each other, sharing with each other, sharing what's happened in your life in, in a group of people that are all messed up just like you. So don't worry. In, in a church of people, here's the other healthy aspect or healthy picture of a church, a place where people know that it's okay to not be okay. Like here's an unhealthy, here's a flip side of that. A church where people are pretending and they feel good about themselves because of all the church activities and uh, theological information they know, scriptural knowledge they know, steps that they think they're doing. They're just kind of living. It's, it looks more like living for the law and people coming together in church and thinking, hey, we're the good people. And we look down at people who aren't here, who aren't here enough. And, um, and we're really fake. We're really not real and authentic. We just come on Sunday and say, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. That's our response, right? I'm doing good. Do you ever say anything other than that? Rarely. Rarely do people say anything other than that. And so we want to create relationships. And that's why we, we try to make a big deal about opportunities to gather you guys together in smaller groups, small enough. So it's not just a replication of this, but small enough where you can talk and get to know each other. And be real. And it takes a while, often. Um, but after a while, you can actually, you know, share your struggles. And other people, here's how it gets you out of the bondage of shame. Is all you're listening to is your own self-talk when you're in this shame. And you're having Satan just pour all this stuff on you. And all you're saying is, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. And no one else is countering that. Now, hopefully you get into God's word to counter that. But sometimes we also need... God's people to speak against that. And here's a good indicator if you know kind of how you approach church and what it's about. A bunch of people coming together to be real and honest and know that we're a bunch of sinners saved by grace and we have incredible humility because of that. And so we come together in that spirit and we just want to encourage other people. I loved last week with Megan sharing about the aha moment of understanding grace after being in a system of like, here's a, here's a religious system and here's all the things you do to be right with God. Jesus did it all. We don't deserve that. 
That's why it's amazing grace that we don't deserve. And that clicking with her and then her response after that was what? I want to share that with everyone, especially my friends, especially my family. Do I do a good Megan? Megan's like, don't try to <laughs> quote me. But you know what I'm saying if you were here and heard the video last week. Um, that's our response. And that should be church. Just coming together and just, man, not I want to come and like judge and criticize other people in their lives and what we are or aren't doing right. No, I want to come and give life to other people that I've experienced. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. Wow. All these other people are trapped in these systems of thinking that they are trying to earn it or deserve it. So if you come to church and you're like, criticize, I didn't get any of this. Uh, there wasn't enough for me. Uh, it was, and they didn't do this right and didn't do this right. And they could have, you know, if that's your attitude coming to church, that's just, it's, it's not what we see of what God desires, of people coming and where shame is destroyed and brought to its knees is when people are open and honest and authentic. And so we want to foster that and see that happen as much as possible. Um, so why live for God? Okay, so, okay, sin stinks. It brings death. I hope we've convinced you of that and there's so much more of scripture we could have referenced for that. But why give ourselves to God? Why allow ourselves to be slaves, as Paul would describe it, even though he says that's not the best illustration, the only one I know to come up with? Why live for God? Number one, God himself. And what do I mean by that? For God himself, for a relationship with God. Not for something we get from God, but because God has invited us into a relationship with him. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that incredible and awesome and hard to fathom and get your brain around? The, the God of the universe, the eternal creator God who spoke you into existence and everyone else and every, everything else who loves completely and fully and unconditionally wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And, and what can throw a pebble in that, what can really throw that off is us getting trapped back into sin. If you are someone who has accepted this free, free uh, gift of salvation, which brings you into that relationship, what can distort that and put it on the rocks is nothing God does. He's perfect, but it's what we do. And again, we get back to that, but there's res restoration. So God himself is one reason we should, if, if you have a false idea of who he is, if you grew up and you had this idea of a, a joy kill God who is condemning and, and uh, angry and, and all these things, and you don't know what scripture says from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I've heard some people say, well, the Old Testament, you know, God had like an anger problem in the Old Testament, and then he got some therapy. And in the New Testament, he's like lovey-dovey. No, his incredible, we read a scripture during worship that talked about God's unconditional, unending love, his character and his nature. He, he does hate sin and there's an anger against sin, but, but that's out of love. Um, and so he's, all, he's, he's uh, incredibly loving and, and that's one reason. Number two is God's freedom. That real freedom is, it's the fish looking up out of the water onto the land going, man, that's real freedom. Look at all what's happening up there. I've never experienced all that. And that's gotta be where life really is found. If I could just jump out of this water 
and go. I'm not going to break into Song of Little Mermaid, don't worry. But if I could just, you know, leave this water and go on to land, like that's where freedom really could be found. And, and Satan does a really good job deceiving us into that idea when we were created for this beautiful eternal relationship with God. And, and just like a fish is created to be in the water. And if they find themselves out of it, it may be a little thrilling for a little while. I mean, you might even go to great lengths and be Sandy from Square Pants SpongeBob and have a little, a little fun underwater for a little while. But, but ultimately, you weren't created or designed to be in that setting. That was a really re- weird reference that I didn't make last time. Galatians 5.1 says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in, uh, in slavery to the law. And the last thing is God's future, that we have an eternal perspective, that, that we don't just live for the here and now and just give in to our appetite at, the, at that moment and just live for ourselves and get deceived and lied to and sucked into these things that that, that uh, entangle us. But Philippians 3, 20, uh, 3, 17 through 21 says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, Paul's very passionate here, um, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. That's what guides them. It's just whatever they want, whatever they desire. They'll do whatever to get it because it's about them. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting, uh, eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So lastly, that's, we, we have a different perspective than a world that's trapped in and dedicated and in slavery to sin. We have an eternal perspective and we're looking forward to that. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is simply Romans 6.23 because it is my favorite verse to use to share the gospel with people, the good news with people because it's one verse and it's real simple. The, the, the part of the slavery thing is we're born into it. We're born with a debt. We're born with a sin nature which leads us to be in relational conflict with God. And so the wages of the sin that we all have is eternal death. It's separation from God. But the free gift, I'm not trying to sell you into a system of, you know, join my religion and jump through all these hoops. No, it's a free gift uh, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never made that decision, if you've never received that free gift, I know some people are like, how? How do I do that? The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's simply recognizing this. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm rebellious towards God who is good and perfect. And I I just cry out to him and receive this free gift of Jesus. You paid the price for me on the cross and you want to live your life through me. And, And I just receive that gift now. A prayer to God like that, the Bible says, 
is what brings salvation. 